tracking with us week by week, you know we're in the middle of another sermon series. Oh, you guys just love each other too much. Knock it off. Come sit down. Pathetic. Yes, we do have a lot of estrogen in the room this morning. Not enough testosterone to balance things out. I got to tell you, I had a great time with the fellows up in the mountains. There's still several of our Rest Life guys up there in the hills. They're probably getting snowed in. They may be up there for a whole nother day. I don't know. It's supposed to be snowing up there right now. But yeah, we had a good time. We had some guys up there doing guy stuff. I was telling some of the folks in our adult ed class this morning that uh, there's just a whole different feel when the guys get away. And I was trying to describe it. And one of the gals sitting next to me helped me out um, with a better explanation than I could come up with. But when you get a bunch of guys together, for some reason, we feel totally comfortable reverting back to being boys. I don't know why that is, but we feel like we have to be men when you women are around. But as soon as you're gone, we're all just big boys again. And so it was fun to be with the boys this weekend. Uh, We giggled a lot, what guys do. Uh, The ladies said when they go on the women's retreats, they cry and cry and cry and cry. Uh, Nobody was crying, but we laughed a lot. So um, it was good. And I'm sure they're still laughing up there this morning. But like I said, we've been going through a series, Seven Signs That You Know You're Living Right. And uh, I like to start off every year, a new year, 2009, with looking at our life, looking at what God has called us to do in the context of restoration life, looking at what the Word of God says about our lives, and just checking in and making sure we're on track. It does no good to run full speed ahead if you're running the wrong direction. And so my challenge to you as we go through this series is to keep taking inventory of your life. Look at your life. Have a conversation with God about your life. And check and see if you're on the right track. And you may not know how to answer that question. That's part of what this series is all about. We're going to give you seven things you can check in on and go, okay, how am I doing on that one? Check. How am I doing on that one? Ooh, I need to work on that. So we're going to give you some, some things that you can check in on. And so far we talked about being intentional, which means you have a plan for your life. If you missed any of the sermons, you can go online and listen to the podcast. I really would encourage you to, to take advantage of getting all seven. If you get four out of seven, that's not bad. But those other three might have been the ones you really needed to hear. So we talked about being intentional and having a plan for your life. And then secondly, last week, we talked about being relational. Are you connected arm in arm, locked arm in arm with another man, another woman who can walk life's journey with you and hold you up when you need strength? And who are you holding up? We talked about that last week. This morning, we're jumping into number three of seven. And the third sign that you're you're living right, you're on the right track, you're becoming the man or woman that God created you to be on your journey of faith, is that you would be communal. Now, communal is that same word as community. It's that togetherness concept. And a lot of times people have friends at church. And you say, well, do you have any friends here? And we encourage you to make friends. But it goes beyond Friendship. We're not just talking about people at church that you're friends with. You come to church, you see your friends, you say hi, you smile, slap each other on the back, and then never see each other again. What we're talking about this morning goes deeper than that. We're talking about family. And oftentimes the church is described as the family of God. This is your church family. If you consider Restoration Life your church, then we are your family. 
The other day we were walking out of the Sunday night prayer service. And I said, all right, see you next week, brother. And my, my little daughter, Claire, says to me, why do you call everybody brother, sister? I've been doing that for years. I don't even think about it anymore. I may call you brother or sister. You may have heard me say that to you. It's because you are my family. I am your family. We are sons and daughters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which makes us brothers and sisters. And so when I say to you, see you next week, sister. See you, brother. How you doing, sister? How you doing, brother? I'm acknowledging the fact that we're more than just friends. We're family. But sometimes in the context of church, we don't treat each other like family. If all you do is see each other for a few minutes on Sunday morning, Christian asks you to get up and ask a silly question of your neighbor. You bump into each other getting a donut in the back. That's not sufficient. That's not family. It's just an acquaintance. And what we're talking about this morning is, are you connected in this body as family? Do you lean on people like their family? Do you know people like their family? Or do you just have acquaintances, friendships? It has to go to a deeper level. Now, I grew up in a commune. So whenever I think community, communing with people, it takes me right back to my childhood. It was a very unconventional way to grow up. Most of my friends didn't grow up in a commune. They grew up with mom and dad. They had a TV and they had a dog and a cat and it was a pretty normal life. I had 30 brothers that lived in my house. Bunch of ex-hippies. Some of them had hair down to their rear end. My mom and dad lived there. Another family lived there, but everybody else just single guys. This is back in the 1970s, and back then, communes were the thing. But when we communed together, when we lived together, we shared our food. Everybody did chores together. We shared our living space. I remember my mom lamenting that nothing in the kitchen was hers anymore. All the stuff we brought into that house, it became everybody's stuff. We didn't have our own stuff. We shared everything. People cried together. People laughed together. There was always somebody home. It was never quiet at our house. And we lived in this gigantic Victorian home at 22nd and F Street in Midtown. A whole bunch of folks. It was a commune. We shared life together. And to this day, I have a picture of what it looks like when Christians, who weren't born in the same biological family, become a family and live together. Community is more than proximity. It takes more than just being in the same room to become a community. It's proximity plus an affinity for each other. And even more than that, a commitment to one another. In other words, when you're family, you don't choose to stop being family because you don't like each other. There might be people in your biological family you really don't care for very much. You may have had a falling out with them. They're still your family. And that's the way God means for the church to operate. We're together forever. You know you can't get rid of me. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are stuck with Dan Axtell for eternity. Think about that. And it's not just me. It's all these folks around you. God has placed us together for a purpose. And he's made it for all of eternity. It doesn't end. We're family. Even after some in your biological family are no longer part of your life, I'll still be there. That's the kind of family that God has asked you to join. So it's a commitment to each other to stick together, to stay together, to live life together for the rest of eternity. 
That's pretty intense when you think about it. To commune is to connect on a physical, a spiritual, and an emotional level. I mentioned the guys are up in the hills right now. We were connecting. We were bonding, guy bonding, like only guys can do. Women don't understand it. Guys love it. But the women do the same thing. The women can go and they can bond and, and, and do their thing, and, and we don't understand it. We're a little different that way. But relationships are formed where we commune together on a physical, spiritual, and emotional level to where we're truly the family of God. You know, I think American culture struggles in this category probably more than most churches have over the last 2,000 years in different parts of the world, different communities, different cultures. And especially not just American churches, but American churches in the city, which is what we are. Because you and I live in a place of extreme individualism, of a lot of busyness. Everybody's got their own thing, and they do their thing at full speed. The way that our houses and our neighborhoods are lined up isn't even conducive to community. Now, my best friend, Mark Prescott, lives on a great street. In fact, looking around, there's some of you. I see Leander over there. I see uh, Sonny and Ben, and I know the Vallejos live there. They've got this cozy little street where cars don't come down it very often. It's over there, uh, D Street. And if you go out in Mark's front yard and you stand there for a little while, you're going to talk to somebody because people walk around and they all know each other and there's no cars driving across the road and it feels very much like a community. But the truth is, it got even more community-minded when Mark moved in because Mark goes out and he's a connector and he connects a lot of people in that community. They care for each other. But that's the exception. My street's not like that. I dream of it being like that. We're trying to connect with people on our street. I don't know what your street is like, but most of us live in a world where people don't even know their neighbors. We struggle with community. And if you go out into the suburbs, it gets even worse. And I know a couple of you guys live in the suburbs. You can push a button in your car, a door opens, you drive the car and you push the button, the door comes back down, and you literally don't even have to get out of your car in front of your house and see your neighbors. We've set it up that way go through a door from the garage right into the house. There's just not a lot of community. You know, people on my street are extremely busy. I've talked to my neighbors several times about, you know, we ought to get together and just, like everybody on our street have a a block party or something. And every person to the last person says, yeah, we should do that. But you know, every single weekend, we're all so busy. People are gone. My neighbors always tell me when they're going out of town. I always tell them when I'm going out of town. And almost every weekend, one of the neighbors, just within like five houses, is gone for the weekend. They're busy people. And so we struggle very deeply, just at a, a cultural level, with being family. Nicole and I had an opportunity to live in Europe. Europeans are different. They don't think of life the same way. For one thing, they have a socialist government. And the underpinnings of that is that we're all kind of in this together, and if we work together, we'll all be better off. In some ways, that's really nice. In other ways, eh, not so much. Sometimes it annoyed the heck out of me. Because there was a feeling that you can't do anything different than what everybody else does, and it really curbs innovation, creativity. So there's an upside and a downside. I'm not saying America, Europeans better. I'm just saying it's different. And what we got, the version we got as Americans is strong individualism. I do my thing. I don't need help from anybody else. I'm self-sufficient, and I'm too busy to talk. 
And so we bring all that into the church structure. And I just want to acknowledge as we begin this morning that we are Americans, live in the city, and we struggle to be community-minded, to think like a family. We tend to come in late, leave early, have a hard time connecting during the week. And God has called us to something more than that. The Bible challenges us to live as a family, to live in community, to connect with each other at a spiritual, emotional, and physical level that we often miss and we struggle with. And if you and I, if rest life doesn't figure out how to live that way, then we miss one of the key biblical truths that was passed on to us. And we'll never become the men and women that God created us to be. I want to paint a word picture for you this morning. I wish I was the type of person who had tapestries around my house. I would have picked one up and brought it. I know some of you guys have one. I don't know who I would have called you. But if you picture with me a tapestry, a canvas that's been woven on with different colors of thread until it makes a beautiful picture that you could even hang on the wall or, or put over a table. And how that's made, it's a great picture of what God called the church to be. God is like that canvas that we're woven into. And I've seen my mom do a couple of stitchings. And sometimes you'll get a canvas and it'll actually have an outline of a beautiful picture. You You don't even have to make up the picture. If you're not artistic enough to draw your own picture, you just put the thread right where the line is. And it even tells you what color goes on which line. But if you picture God like that, he knows what the plan is. He's the backdrop. He's the one that holds it all together. And he asks us as individuals to be woven into him. And there's, first of all, a connection, a communion, a togetherness with God that each one of us has to discover. But I think a lot of us like to stop there. I'm connected with God. That's enough. But in order to complete the picture, it takes a lot of different colors, a lot of different lines. And when it's put all together, it can become something much more beautiful than you could ever be on your own. And I believe God has called the church to be a tapestry, to be a a picture of who he is, what he values, and how he wants to interact with his creation. And if each one of us will allow God to, to weave us into that place where we belong, the world will begin to see who God is and will bring hope to a world that's longing for hope. But we have to be mindful that we can't do it by ourselves. One thread doesn't make a tapestry. It takes all of us. You're an integral part, but you're just a part. And I believe that as we get interwoven with each other, and one thread overlaps another, and green goes next to blue, goes next to yellow, goes next to purple, we can make something beautiful. So there's a togetherness, a communion with God, but at the same time, there's a togetherness and a communion with others. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 this morning. That's our text for today. In the book of Hebrews, there's a a great picture of this togetherness with both God and man. In Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 19 to 25. Verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In verse 22, it says these words, let us draw near to God. We're going to look at four different statements in this short passage. And each one begins with, let us. These are four things that we need to be doing in the context of being followers of our Lord Jesus Christ that will allow us to live a healthy and vibrant Christian life and to become the man or woman that God created us to be in the context of community, togetherness, family. So the first one in verse 22 says, let us draw near to God. Greek word here is proserkomai. It means literally coming face to face with God. It's not near just in terms of my body is close. It's nearness in terms of your face is focused on God. Your gaze is fixed on him. So, yes, you're close in proximity, but you're also close in terms of your affinity. You're staring at God. You're looking him in the eye. There's a closeness. There's an attentiveness. There's a caring for what moves God. So it tells us that we should draw close to God. Community, Christian community begins with your relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you haven't drawn close to God, if you're not face to face with God, then you're not ready to be in community with God's people, his body, the bride. That's where it starts. What's your relationship with God like? Have you turned from sin and turned towards Christ? The biblical picture of repentance. And embrace the fact that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That he died on the cross for your sins. Have you turned to God and said, yes, I want forgiveness. I want to be a follower of you. I want to become the man or the woman that you created me to be. If you have done that, if you have turned to God, then this passage encourages you day by day. Keep your gaze. Keep your focus on God. Because God is the source. The one who leads and guides and gives you the right perspective. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you take your gaze off of me. If you start going your own way, because apart from me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. You can't be a follower of Lord Jesus Christ in your own power. You've got to come through His power. And if you're going to stay on God's path, you've got to keep His gaze. You've got to look into His eyes. Draw near. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Before you can connect with any of us, before we can be family, before I can say, how you doing, brother? You need to be my brother. You need to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to allow Him to be your Heavenly Father, not just once, but day by day by day by day. Stay connected. Abide. The word used here in John 15, 5 is often abide. Sometimes it's remain. But it's this idea of continually 
living life together. So intertwined that you don't know where one starts and the other one stops. That's the relationship God wants to have with you day by day. But it doesn't stop there. Have that relationship with God and have that relationship with others. Verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The second thing that we should do is to spur one another on. So it's not just God that we keep our focus on. But once we focus on God, what comes into view is the body. The body that Christ has is called the church, the family of God. It's the people sitting around you, your fellow believers. And we consider how we can spur one another on. This idea of consider literally means to put your mind on it, to fix your mind on it, to concentrate. Consider doesn't mean a casual thing. It means an actively focusing in on what could I do to encourage the person on my right and the person on my left? Is there something that I could be doing to help them in their journey? So it's a careful, attentive, meditative thought. Consider. How to spur one another on. This idea of spurring somebody on is a strong word, which literally means to sharpen. The Bible says that as uh, one man, that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. We were just up in the mountains, men sharpening men. But you know, I think that passage applies to women as well. This is what we do within the body. We sharpen each other. Sharpening. So this spurring on is really a sharpening. And you look at the people next to you and say, you know, they may need... A little bit of sharpening. And how do you sharpen something? You've got to rub off those edges. It takes a little friction. It takes a little elbow grease. What are you doing? Just sitting next to them this morning is not enough. There's something God would like you to do in the lives of the people around you this morning that's going to require you to be actively involved. To spur one another on, to sharpen each other, is going to need, it's going to require you to be actively involved in the lives of people around you. You can't sharpen each other from a distance. You can't sharpen each other with a flyby. You have to be intimately involved in each other's lives. You know, it's interesting in this short little phrase, there's there's just so many things in here that, that we can draw out. But it says that we should consider how to spur one another on. I think sometimes we make the mistake of coming to church and saying, well, that's the pastor's job. And we almost read this and we go, The pastor should spur people on. The pastor should encourage people, sharpen people. He should consider how to sharpen the minds and the hearts and the affections of the people in the church. But that's not what it says, is it? It says one another. Certainly, I've got a part to play. Pastor Mark's got a part to play. But it says one another. There's no exceptions. This is a passage about you. You've got some work to do in God's economy. The way he created things to be, the church works because of you. Or the church doesn't work because of you. It's a one another statement. That means each person with each other person. Considering, sharpening. What's your part that God's called you to play within the body? Because you have a part. Every Sunday that comes, when we gather together, when you have an opportunity to be with God's people, there's a job for you to do. 
you know, there's not a help wanted sign out there that says we need people to sit in warm chairs for about two hours on Sunday morning. That's not what we're here for. It's not to fill that chair up. When you come here, God's got something bigger for you than that. And it's true, some Sundays you come and you just need to be people to love on you. You don't have anything to give. Sometimes that's where we're at. Somebody needs to pour into our life. But there's other times when God's expecting you to be the one who gives. We do this with one another. Have you considered on Sunday morning, when you come here, how you can sharpen the people around you? How you can spur them on? And it says that we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know, the aim of our lives is not just loving and doing good deeds, but helping to stir others up to love and do good deeds. It would be easy for you to walk out here this morning and go, okay, so I need to be more loving and do more good deeds. But this passage says you're supposed to make sure that the person sitting on your right and your left and the person sitting behind you, those people around you, how are you helping them to be more effective at loving others and doing good deeds? That's what it says here. So you have a job to do. God is expecting you in the context of this body to change the lives of the people around you. So when you come together with God's people, this isn't just about sitting and listening and receiving. It's about being active in the lives of the body. What family life is like. We lean on each other. Then verse 25 says, Let us not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, there's a couple of reasons why we give up meeting together. And I got to tell you, here at Restoration Life, on a typical Sunday, we do a head count every week just to keep track of are we growing, are we shrinking, are we doing things right, are we doing things wrong, we're, we're, just so we know where we're trending. And what we found is every single Sunday, about 40% of the adults that come regularly to this church are not here. Every single Sunday, every once in a blue moon, we'll have like this huge crowd and go, wow, everybody showed up today. Now, you may come every single week. I don't know. But I can tell you what I do know. When you count heads and you go in the directory and you go, okay, that person, yeah, okay, they're regular. We have almost 50% of our congregation AWOL Sunday morning. That's concerning to me. And it's not because I want more people here so I feel better about me. This church is doing just fine. We got enough money and we got enough people to reach this community. Our biggest concern is do we have enough faithfulness to live it out? So I'm not complaining about the empty seats saying, oh, I, I want more people here. That's not the issue at all. But if somebody's not here on Sunday morning, how are they going to sharpen anybody else? What if there's somebody here on Sunday morning that needs to be sharpened and they were meant to sharpen them? Or what if the person who's not here on Sunday morning needed to be sharpened, but they're somewhere else doing something else and there's nobody there to sharpen them? That's a problem. Because God created us, the way He designed things to work in the church, is that we sharpen one another. I need you, you need me. I need the person next to you, and the person next to you needs me. We're all intertwined here, we're all interconnected. It's the way God designed the body to work. And you know, I think some people have a a passive reason for not being here. In other words, some people are not here because they're disheartened. They don't have the energy, the passion to show up. Sometimes you're depressed. 
Sometimes you feel hopeless and you don't even want to go to church. You just don't have the, the desire, the energy to turn up. Maybe you don't understand how important it is. And you think, well, I'll go to church if I, you know, if it's convenient. I got a bunch of other things I do. If, if I have a free weekend, I'll go to church. And I think some of those reasons keep people away. Just passive reasons. I don't have anything against church. It just doesn't work most of the time, and so they don't show up. Sometimes people get weary. They burn out. But you know, church is a commitment. It's something that God calls you to. It's a commandment. God says, get together and sharpen each other. You can't sharpen people if you're not together. Meet together every week and encourage one another. And so if you have been passively showing up, not showing up, I would challenge you to make that a commitment in your life. Choose to be here. Choose to be here like you choose to be at work or school. Places where you show up regularly, even if you've got the sniffles. How committed are you to being together with God's people? But you know, there's some people who don't show up for other reasons. Some people don't show up because they don't want to be here. They'd rather be somewhere else. And I don't mean they hate church. I mean, it's just not as important as some of the other things that they do. Sometimes going to church causes you to give up some things. There's some people in our church that are very involved in athletic pursuits. Sport teams. Got something going on on Sunday. I can't be in church. Sorry. Is that a valid reason for missing church? Some people don't come because they've got to work. Is that a valid reason for not coming to church? Some people don't come to church because they need to be on holiday all the time or they need to get up to the mountains and get away. Is that a good reason for missing church? Now, I know we're not the only church. I've said in the past, Nicole and I go on vacation. I always go to church wherever we're at. Go to some other church. We're not the only show around. But do you value that one Sunday It comes every week when you get together with God's people and you sharpen and you get sharpened. Do you understand that God called you into that when he called you into his family? He's got a job for you. If you don't do that job, his people aren't getting built up. And you're not becoming the man or woman that God created you to be. That's what's at stake. Now, I know we live in a busy world and I know it's tough to get to church. And I know some of you would lose your job if you stopped going to to work on Sundays. These are not easy things. But I would challenge you with this. Put it as high of a priority as you possibly can. Churches should be one appointment that you don't miss during the week to the extent that it's within your control as much as possible. Because every single week you have an opportunity to do something that has eternal implications. Sharpening, encouraging the body of Christ and being encouraged. So whether it's passive or whether it's active, it takes a sacrifice to show up here. There's other things you could be doing. I understand that. But this is very important. It's important to God. He created the whole system. And if he says it's important, I think it's wise to take him at his word. Yes, there's other things you could do, but not things more important than being together with God's people. 
Verse 25 says, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Last week, we talked about this word for encouragement. Parakaleo, it's the same word for paraclete, which is what we call the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside of us, encourages us, strengthens us in the journey. We are called as God's people to do the work that the Holy Spirit does oftentimes in the power of the Spirit. But oftentimes you are God's agent to come alongside of somebody else. So it says here that we should encourage one another. We sharpen each other. We encourage each other. We sharpen each other. We encourage each other. It's part of what God called us to do on Sunday morning. When you come here, don't just think about sitting in a seat. Don't just think about singing a song to the Lord. Don't just think about listening to a message. But think about the people around you and how you could sharpen how you could encourage those people. This is God's provision, that great work to be done. You know, sometimes you might have a word of encouragement for someone. There are people here this morning that nobody has said hello to. Nobody has shaken their hand. Nobody's put their arm around them and gave them a squeeze. Nobody's even looked them in the eye and gave them a smile. You say, oh, well, that's what we have greeters for. Yeah, right. Not enough time in the morning to, to, to give everybody that kind of love. I can't do it. I try. I, I come down here after I get done preaching. I try and go and meet people. I get two, three conversations, and 80% of the people are gone before I can get to them. I can't do it. The greeters can't do it. Who can do it? It only works if we all do it. Who have you encouraged this morning? Who have you sharpened? God might give you a word for somebody, a word of encouragement. Word of rebuke. God might say, hey, you need to go talk to Christian this morning. Just encourage him. He pours his life out for the high school kids here at this church. It's not an easy job. You ever encourage him? Who encourage? Is it my job to encourage Christian? I think so. I try to do that. But it's not mine alone. It's all of us. Encouraging. Sharpening. We need to consider how we can come together on a Sunday morning and do the work of building up the body so that we can make a difference in our community. And it says that we should do this all the more as we see the day approaching. Now, what day is that that's approaching? Well, someday God's going to say enough is enough and he's going to return. And he promises us that before he does that, things are going to get pretty bad. It's no secret that here in this country, we're in a time of uncertainty. I'm when a lot of people are looking around and wringing their hands and going, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. The more signs you see in your world that things aren't going too well, each one of those should point you back to the importance of being here on a Sunday morning. That you can get encouraged, you can be sharpened, and in turn you can encourage and you can sharpen. We're strong together if we minister to one another by ourselves we're isolated vulnerable this is part of god's provision for us i want to close with five things that happen when you go to church now obviously if you don't go to church these five things don't happen these are five good reasons to be here number one this is a place where you can belong where you can become a member of god's family You can't become a member of a family, somebody who's known and counted on, 
Somebody who has life experiences, who's laughed and cried together with others. You can't have that unless you come together on a regular basis. So we come together once a week. It's a place where you can be known by name, where people can care about you, where if you don't show up, someone actually cares. I went to the men's retreat this weekend, and I, and I looked around, and, and several guys' faces popped up. I said, hey, where's so? I thought there. And I thought of all these guys that I thought would be there, and they weren't there. And I missed them. I care about them. Because we've done life together. Not having them there made a difference to me. At the same time, I looked around, I saw some guys, I go, oh, I didn't know that guy was coming. I'm so glad he was here. And the same thing happens every Sunday morning. When I see you, I'm encouraged just by your presence. Like, oh, it's great. It's, it's good to know that these people love God like I love God. And they're committed to God like I'm committed to God. And I feel much better about my chances of making it in this journey because you're here. And I hope you feel the same way about me. Together, we become a family. This is your church family. I'm your brother. I care about you. Together, I think we're going to be all right. But this gives us a place to connect, to be a family, to be known, to know. So a place to belong. Secondly, it's a place to serve. Christians need to be involved in local churches so they can discover and use their gifts. Scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we each have been given a gift. Sometimes multiple gifts. The gift of prayer. The gift of preaching and teaching. The gift of exhorting. The gift of administration. I don't know what your gift is. Maybe you don't know what your gift is. You need to discover that gift. You need to use it. And this gives you an opportunity, a place to both discover, to sharpen, to use the gifts that God has given you. If you don't do what God created you to do, you're not going to be happy. You could have a nice house, a nice car, but if you don't do what God created you to do, you will not be happy. Each one of you is hardwired to do something for the kingdom of God. And when you discover that thing and you begin to operate in it, you will discover great satisfaction. Life will begin to make sense. How much money you have will be a lot less important because you'll be so busy doing what you are hardwired, created to do. Now, some of the people up on the stage this morning that were singing, beautiful voices, the ability to play instruments. I've talked to some of those people. They enjoy doing what they do and they feel like they're able to serve and make a difference through that. And we all enjoy it as well. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I'm a total zero in that department. And I'm so glad that they come and they do what they do and they do it well and that they like it. There was a short period in my life when I was a young life leader where I had to lead us in worship and song. Ugh. Hated it. It was embarrassing, really. Because I was horrible at it and I knew it. I had to do somebody else's job because someone didn't show up. For a few months, there was no one to do it. And so I did it. And there's periods in life when that happens. Sometimes you have to step a little bit outside of your gifting. But for the most part, God has called you to use the gifts that you have in the body. And I know some of you are going, well, I'd gladly use my gift if someone would just ask me. And I would love it if I could say everybody in this church has been, has been asked. Face to face, we sat down, we went through all their gifts, and we, and we said, you know, you could do A, B, or C. Would you, would you consider doing one of these wonderful ministries? 
I know that's not true for all of you. I know some of you are going, no one's asked me to do anything. That may be true. But that's still not an excuse. Get involved. Come and ask us. I don't believe I've ever told anybody, no, that's a bad ministry, don't do it. I love fanning people's flame. You have a dream. You have a desire. You see a better future. You believe God's called you to it. Let's talk. Let's find a way to make that reality. Sometimes you don't even need to talk to me. Just start doing it. Start shaking hands and smiling and learning names on Sunday morning. You don't even have to be a greeter to do that. You can all do that. In fact, that's the way it should be. Find your gift. And use it. It's a place to serve. Number three, it's a place to be served. It's not just a place to use your gift, but it's a place to receive. Like I said, when we get up here, when folks get up here and lead us in song, I love to sing. I just don't like to hear myself sing. And I hate it even more when other people hear me sing and they tell me how bad it is. I don't know if you notice, I sit in the front. I can sing as loud as I want. It doesn't hit anybody's ears. I'm a happy guy when I'm singing. I can just belt it out to the Lord. I get goosebumps a lot of times. I feel God's spirit right there with me like I don't most of the week. It's awesome. I love being together with you guys and singing. I love hearing all the symphony of voices behind me that are singing. I receive a lot during those few minutes when we sing out to the Lord. And I miss it when I'm not here. I receive so much from you guys And I hope that each one of you feels that way, that this is a place where you can receive from others, where you can be served, where you can depend on others to come and to lift you up, to care about you, care for you. It's a place to be served. Number four, it's a place to grow. This place is a place that is set up so that you can be equipped. That's our job here as a church. For all of us in leadership, our job is to equip you to be the man or woman God God called you to be. Not to do the work for you. It's to show you, to model, to encourage, to fan that flame. So that you can do the work of building the kingdom. But it gives you a place to grow. A place to worship. A place to pray. A place to be discipled. A place to be instructed and mentored. You know, it also gives you a place to be protected. Part of the calling in my life here at this church is to watch over your soul. You know that God's made me responsible for you? I mean, think about that. I mean, just look around at the people here. I'm responsible for you guys? Lord, help me. I can't even get most of you guys to come to church every week. It's kind of scary, really. I'm doing my best. I'm not sure if my best is good enough, but I'm trying. And I'll tell you this, part of what God designed is for you to be safe. Because each week, Pastor Mark and I pray for you. We lift you up before the Lord. I do spend time studying the Word of God so that I can bring a word and I can deliver it to you so that you can be sharpened. We're trying. But this is part of God's provision for your safety. That someone would watch over you. And if you're going down the wrong path, that somebody would holler out and say, don't go down that path. We've been down it before. There's trouble at the end. Come back over here where it's safe. You need that in your life. Someone who's watching out for you if you're on the right track. Someone who's cheering for you. 
This is a place of safety, a safe place to grow. And lastly, a place to show our God to the world around us. How will the world know who God is if the church of God doesn't tell them? And how will we tell them if it all rests on the shoulders of a chosen few? Could five of us show Sacramento who our God is? What his character is like? What he stands for? We'd be hard-pressed. I don't think five could do it. Oh, we could make an impact. But it would take a lot more than five. Could 25 show Sacramento who our God is? I think we're still way short. I don't know the exact number, but I know this. The more of us that gather together as one, unite together, love each other despite all of our differences, encourage one another, spur each other on, the more conversations that happen in your place of work, on your sports teams, where you say, I I can't be there on Sunday. Sunday's when I go and I worship the Lord. The more of us that are a voice for truth in this city, the greater the chance that this city is going to see who our Lord Jesus Christ is. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You can't love your neighbor if you just sit next to them for about an hour on Sunday morning, once a month. It's not sufficient. You've got to go beyond that. If people are going to see our love for one another, we're going to have to really show our love for one another at a much deeper level than just showing up every once in a while, making an appearance on Sunday morning. Make this a priority. Look at ways that you can serve and be served. Make this a place where you're going to grow and you're going to change and people are going to be able to observe that change and that love. Because together, we truly could reach this city for Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity again this morning to be sharpened by your word. Lord God, you remind us that your word never returns void. And that if we be people of the book, and we would focus on the words that you've given us as recorded in Scripture, we would become changed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change each one of us this morning. Lord, for those who struggle to attend church on Sunday morning, just to gather together, Lord, I pray you'd get them over that hump. You'd give them the desire. You'd give them the opportunity to make it a regular part of every week, that they would come together with your family, your body, be integrated in, woven in. Lord, I pray that each one of us would do that part that you've asked us to do. Lord, that when we come together on Sunday morning, it wouldn't be passively sitting and listening, meager participation. Lord, help each one of us to go beyond that, to become an encouragement, a tool to sharpen all of those around us, Lord, help us to truly grasp what a great loss it is for your body when we choose not to participate. Lord, help each one of us to find our place in this place so that, Lord, your body, Restoration Life, could be the church that you envisioned us to be when you called us into existence. We thank you for the victories, but we pray for even more to come.
Father, we do thank you for this opportunity this morning to be able to come together, to be sharpened, to be encouraged by Pastor Dan and each other. God, may we never, ever waste a